listening to Lady Radio, the hottest show this side of Dizzo. Greetings and welcome to this, the pilot episode of The Conclave. The Conclave is an open invite show where fans join myself and John to talk about the hot topics of the Elite Dangerous universe. Joining me tonight, we have Grant Wilcott. Hi there, I am Commander Psycho and I've had that confirmed, so I'll be Psycho in the game as well, so you'll all know who you're shooting. Yeah, and, uh, and I'm from Glasgow. Joining Grant, we have uh, a name that most people will probably recognise, Drew Wagar. Hello, Chris. Pleasure to be here again. Uh, my name is Drew, as you know. My forum name is uh, also Drew. So if you spot Command Drew out there, then it's more than likely to be me. All crosshairs on you, then. Alongside Drew, we have Ian Phillips. Hi, Ian. Yeah, hello. Uh, from Holland. And your forum name, I'm assuming, is Ian Phillips, is it, Ian? Uh, how did you guess that? Uh, my <laughs> commander name is Reichdar. I'm nah, British, half Welsh, half English, and I live in Holland. I've been here for 17 years. Crikey. And what do you do in Holland, Ian? Um, computer uh, thingamy. Uh, <laughs> I've just switched projects. I've just joined Zigo for a project of doing data migration, whatever that might be. I personally haven't the faintest idea what data migration is, but the nice thing is about three quarters of the people that back the uh, Frontier Elite Dangerous project probably will. So, okay, alongside Ian, we have uh, Sean Gibson. Um, I'm Sean Gibson. To confuse people, I'm Jeff Ryan on the forums. And where's Jeff Ryan comes from? Uh, I'm, I'm actually I'm from Scotland, but um, everybody tells me I sound Irish, and I live in Italy. Right, so that's not going to get confusing quick at all, then. <laughs> <laughs> and finally joining us, uh, we have another name that most people will probably recognise. We have Dave Hughes. Hi, Dave. Hello, uh, my name's Dave. On the forum, I'm usually called Salazen, and I live in Derby, but as you can probably hear, I'm from Scotland originally. Guys, what we'll do, just so people can start to recognise your voices, uh, I'm going to ask you the story so far. What's your current thoughts on the current state of development of the game universe? Uh, what sort of things have been exciting you and what sort of things have been making you nervous? I suppose I throw this one straight over to my uh, co-host, John Stabler, seeing as I forgot to introduce you. Hey, that's OK. I'm hoping that, um, you know, I've got a, like, a household voice now. Uh, but yeah, I'll jump straight to it. Um, current state of development. To be honest, I'm pretty happy with, with you know the current things. And although I don't have DDF access, my understanding is that they settled on a system of feedback um, on proposals that works. Uh, and they seem to be reaching consensus on a, a lot of important game features. Saying that, I think most people would agree it's time we saw a bit more video of the game. While I'm, um, you know, I'm sure a lot of people enjoy the ship porn and the drabbles and the newsletter, it's, it's not. You know, my cup of tea, so um, I kind of share some of Alan Stroud's frustrations, let me put it that way. Perfect stuff. And uh, I know you and I have uh, butted heads on this before. I disagree that we should be seeing things like uh, video just at the moment because that's not the stage of the project that they're currently at. I'm uh, more than happy to sit back and make sure that they, uh, they're working on the stuff that they need to work on uh, to make sure the game comes out in March next year. Uh, and I'd rather they did that than, than pull people off to do videos. But I know you and Alan are 
and getting quite sick of your ship porn, whereas uh, I could perfectly sit here and watch ship porn all night. Anybody else got anything they want to say about the uh, the current state of the development cycle with Frontier? Yeah, it's um, well, I've, I'm actually wondering why is there no love for the planets? When I saw the uh, the pictures in the newsletter, I just thought, wow, they look good. And that's just a start. Jovian, Super jo- Jovian and uh, Gaia planets, Earth-like planets. I just thought, wow, they're fantastic because the, all the pictures of the different sorts were procedurally generated. And they look great. There was a sentence in the, in the, uh, in the newsletter. And you can see it would be very easy for us to make unique planets for the whole galaxy oh, wow <laughs> wow procedural generated planets do look uh, quite impressive and that's just the tip of the iceberg as to what they've got actually got yeah got working with the planet yeah dave what about uh, you I'm mate just, i was just going to jump in about the planets there as well i do think that the planets are a, a very good feature i mean if the procedural generate they're not going to be very diverse i mean especially if they use something the same as the fibonacci sequence that they did in the original elite do that um, they're going to look very unique, but not entirely sure if they're going to be unique enough. Um, because obviously, the, as it comes later on, we're going to have the, the point of going down to those planets as well. And they're going to have to be able to populate all those little points of light with people. I don't know if they're making a bit of a rock for the back there or not. No, it's a good point. I mean, the concept art that we've seen so far in terms of what planets look like by uh, by night and all the different sort of light effects to distinguish between Federation, Imperial and Independent. Yeah, as you say, they're supposed to be cityscapes. So are we going to see planets where, you know, you might just see a couple of those as opposed to what we saw in the concept art where we saw an entire planet covered on them? Drew, what about you, sir? I've been watching the newsletters with quite a bit of interest, actually. I mean, it has been concentrating a lot on the ship design, which which has been welcome. The, the the kind of things that are worrying me a little bit is really just the time scale, because we're at the end of April now, and the game is due to kind of come out in April next year. So we're kind of at 11 months stage now, and that you know, you've got to include testing and alpha and beta feedback in that time. So. Uh, a version of the game has got to be kind of mostly baked by, I would say, kind of November time, which isn't that long. <laughs> um, and I'm sort of saying, okay, we've got we've got one ship, we've got one sidewinder there, we've got concept art for other ships, we've got some procedural plans which you just discussed. The DDF has focused a lot on you know, how hyperspace is going to work, how the comms are going to work, in-system stuff, etc., etc., etc. But you know, the promises back from the you know, the Kickstarter of the number of ships that we would see and the, and the breadth and scale of the galaxy, all that kind of good stuff, it, it's all there to happen. But to me, the um, the progress diaries have been quite sparse, considering what the number of features, you know, the the intergalactic trading, the the navigation maps, all, all the stuff that we need to kind of get from one place to another. Um, I kind of expect to see a little bit more, to be frank. Okay. Sean, what about you? Um, actually, the thing I was thinking was the same as Drew, is the, the time scale. Is that um, I, I'm worried about knowing a little bit about how games are developed just as a fan and following other projects. A year seems to be a very short period of time for for what we're being promised. I know that a lot of the technology has been developed beforehand, which will cut down on the development time. But looking at uh, what we're being told about and what I'd be expecting to see at this point, like 11 months before launch, it just doesn't really... I expect the game to be late at this point. Oh, talk about a pessimist. (laughs) 
have some optimism. I mean, to be fair, yeah, absolutely. In terms of the the stuff that they have been showing us, it has been quite sort of nuts and bolts, you know, how things are going to work from a sort of function standpoint, as opposed to, you know, here's a beautiful uh, rendered video of the in-game engine with ships flying around it. But don't you think that after we've had this first couple of months of where that sort of function has been sort of nailed down, then it will literally just allow them to go on and just sort of flesh out all of that scaffolding? Grant, what do you reckon? Well, I'm not really too concerned about not being involved in making games myself. I don't really not understand the sort of length of time scale. I understand there's going to have to be a considerable amount of testing done, so it does seem that their time is getting short. Um, and having looked at the uh, Star Commander um, progress, they are all flashy and singy and dancey and showing all these different things, and they seem to be... Uh, pandering to every need as well, where it seems to be that I think Frontier are really focusing on the nuts and bolts that will make the game playable, enjoyable, and not over-featured, which I think, you know, it will be very important. So I'm not really particularly concerned if it was to run late. It'd be nice to get in there and see it and get a good go at it and see what it was like. So, yeah, I think if we get some videos soon showing some more of the uh, gameplay and the flight mechanics would be fantastic. Now, John, what do you reckon? Um, well, I, I was just going to say, I think it'd be quite interesting. It seems as somebody's already put their neck on the line <laughs> to say the game was going to be late. Um, I was wondering what, you know, if anybody else wanted to, um, you know, say, you know, put their little um, um, suggestion forward. I, I, I agree. I think it's going to be late. I'm sorry. Ian, what about you? Well, as a computer professional, um, <laughs> the, the game will come out on time. It just depends on how, much, how many features they're actually able to put in. But I think they'll actually deliver on time. It's a question of how much bling you want in it, really, or they're able to put in. They've got all the video and all the stuff is there. They've, they've shown us that in previous videos. All the rules of how... The combat works and uh, all the, the crime penalties you know once they got that put into their engine basically you've got the game and then it's a question of putting a few ships in now we've seen enough ships we've seen the process of how what they're doing with these uh, sidewinder and once they've done that for one it's a lot because then they've done everything so they know how all that works and then it's just you put in a new model put it through that process and it's just boom, boom, boom. It's just, they just come straight out. So I'm not worried that it's not going to come out on time. Um, the only question is how many features are going to be in there? That's the idea I get. They'll deliver on time, but how much? That's the question. Okay, Dave. Yeah, I agree with what you say there. I think they'll deliver it on time, but you might find um, a lot of slippage in what they're actually trying to put in there. It might not make it. I posted in, my up in one of my updates recently that I was quite surprised by how much time the forum was actually taking from my time actually developing the RPG book. And I'm actually wondering if Frontier's finding the same problem, especially people like Michael Brooks and Ashley Barnley. You might find that the, the time they're spending dealing with the DDF and the questions from them, reading through all the stuff that goes through, because that is horrendously busy, that DDF, um, might take up a lot of their time. And if, if it's taking up more time than they thought, then that's less time they've got for developing and working on the game. I noticed recently that yesterday, Limit Theory actually brought out their prototype yesterday. Um, Frontier's a big company with a lot of people working on the game and I'm wondering how close they are at this point as well. We all know yeah. they've got a, a bit of a playable demo from some of the videos during the Kickstarter campaign but obviously they didn't polish it up and get the head-up displays and everything sorted out before they put it out there. I just um, hope 
it doesn't take them too much longer because they're going to look better standing still. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the limit theory that you talked about there is actually for those people that didn't follow it on Kickstarter, it's had a Kickstarter around about the same sort of time as Elite Dangerous, and it's another space uh, simulator. Obviously, when the time of the Elite Dangerous Kickstarter came out, you had the Star Citizen, which is the Chris Roberts Wing Commander Kickstarter. You had Elite Dangerous, and you also had this smaller project where one guy was programming a a sandbox universe type game, which was called Limit Theory. And I must admit, I backed all three of those projects. And Limit Theory, he really does seem, he's got enough money from the Kickstarter to literally take a, a year away from university. I think he was at MIT or somewhere like that. So he's dropped out of university for a year just to focus solely on uh, on building the game. Every update that he sends out does seem to have all the visual effects and you, know, you could see the game running as he goes through. He's adding more and more different different features which obviously we haven't got from Frontier. So no, it's a good point, Dave, as to whether or not they're actually finding that by involving the community, which is what we all wanted them to do, they're actually finding that um, it's slowing down the development of the overall game. Yeah, you should check out the Limit Theory forum as well, because he actually posts a detailed account of what he's done every day on there. And it's amazing reading some of the stuff that he's doing. Grant? Yep. <laughs> I, I didn't, I've not seen the, the Limit Theory at all, actually. I've not even, I didn't even notice it. I was kind of late in to the Kickstarters I got uh, the Elite one almost right at the end and just had to wait until February before I could join so I was lucky when I did but I didn't see that one but I think um, some of the, the newsletters and things from Elite are they're not too flashy but they give us just enough to know there's something going on yeah but it might be nice to know there was a little bit more um, see a few more animations and sort of live clips from gameplay would be fantastic but I'm quite happy I think you know I'm confident and the DDF is ridiculously busy um each thread's about 32 pages within two days and they've made a pledge to read every single one that's it's an awful <laughs> lot of work yeah i must admit i'm a ddf member uh, like yourself and just trying to stay on top of those those topics is uh, you know it could be a full-time job uh, and for the podcast i must admit i really do struggle uh, to do anything apart from from skim it so uh, but there isn't a lot of very dedicated people in the ddf who are really trying to help frontier in terms of the processes and the the functionality of the game and trying to spot you know things that frontier maybe haven't thought of that may cause problems so yeah i think it's a great resource but it's interesting to see whether or not frontier have actually found it more work than they were anticipating i'd seen uh, that quite a lot of people have been asking that question too through the questions um about whether or not they feel that the public input is a, a hindrance or a help I mean, obviously, it's going to be a help in some cases because you've got a whole wealth of amazingly talented people in us um, <laughs> all in there giving a, our little slants and ideas, and some of them are genius. Some of the ideas that come out are fantastic, and some of the talent in there is unbelievable as well. So I can't imagine it wouldn't be helpful, but some of these heads go round and round and round, and you think, how do they possibly come up with any solution that will make the most people happy. So it'd be wonderful to find out how they're finding it. Yeah, and certainly one of the interesting things about this project is just the way that they have reached out to the community. I mean, if you think about the work that obviously Dave, uh, you've done and that Alan's done in terms of trying to bring uh, some of the backstory together. If you think about Dr. Wookie on the, the forums, he's obviously you know, a scientist in terms of, I think he works in astrophysics, but he's there offering his um, his support to either the writers or frontier development if they need any sort of sounding boards on the you know the scientific elements of the game. You know, all these 
members of the community which are offering their services because you know they love the game. Ian, what have you got? Well, you must forget the uh, the, the fashion consultants. Uh. <laughs> oh, I wish I could. Unfortunately, the elite uh, the elite dangerous onesie is uh, is burnt on my memory. Yeah, it is one of the things I'm most worried about in this uh, in the game at the moment, actually. <laughs> Grant, I know you're going to be very very keen to have your say on the onesie, so go for it. It is essential. It's a practical <laughs> item of clothing. It is absolutely essential i tell you what see if you meet me in the station in zero gravity and you're running and you're a big flush you're a big flash frock flapping in the wind and you go for your pistol and you can't get it and i pull mine straight out of my belt no hassles whatsoever and blast your backside back to that pompous little uh, <laughs> boutique where you picked up your flight suit onesies are the way there is no other way <laughs> it's what practical have you unleashed <laughs> I'm, I can just imagine uh, Grant there. He's got his onesie. He's got that. He's going to cut out the great big Elite Dangerous logo from the front of the T-shirt. He's going to stick it on his bum, <laughs> and he's going to be walking around with his great big pair of wings across his. <laughs> I'm going to staple it to my chest. <laughs> to your chest. Right. I think at this point, I think it's fair to say that Grant, you are banned from wearing any onesies at the alternative launch party or any of the other functions where you're going to be seen out in public. Otherwise, I think they will indeed lock you away, mate. Grant, I'm going to say it here again. You're not a well man. <laughs> Before this degenerates any more, or Grant says any more, maybe we should move on to the topics for the show. First question, uh, the age-old question: You know, what do we expect demographic? of this game to be? Uh, I mean, the question is, who is this game for? It was funded in majority by 30 to mid 40 year olds with their nostalgic hats placed firmly on their heads and their hands on their wallet with disposable income. Uh, some more disposable than others and some only after they'd spent long nights explaining to their spouses what this game was and why it was so important that it got made. But where are the youth, people said on Kickstarter? You know, where are the modern warfare players? Where are the Mass Effect players? Do we care? that the Kickstarter was mainly for the older generation. Do we want the younger generation to be part of this game? John, I'm going to start with you, mate. Yeah, great. I mean, as you said, um, and I'll put it this way, I think the game's going to be played mostly by white, middle-class, middle-aged men. In, in one respect, um, Frontier Developments are lucky to have such a well-off fan base um, in that enabled them to get funded. Um, you had what is effectively quite a small number of people but they were able to put in quite a bit of cash. If you think about people when they buy a game, you know, they're looking at spending 40 or 50 pounds, whereas the people who wanted to play Elite were throwing in hundreds of pounds. That's just not normal behaviour, but it's the kind of behaviour you'd see from, you know, some nice middle-class people. But I think if the game is going to be successful, um, in that it's going to attract an audience that's more than what it already has. It needs to actually build, you know, try and achieve some kind of diversity because the current demographic isn't big enough to sustain it much past, you know, maybe a couple of updates um, because we all have only a certain amount of time because we are working people. A lot of us have kids, things like that. So it'll be quite interesting to see how much time people are planning on, on playing the game. So there is, a, there is a requirement to attract other people, um, as you said, younger people, um, casual gamers, um, as well as maybe more hardcore gamers. Um, but you also need a more diverse community to be playing the game to avoid a kind of 
well, what I would like to call, and I might offend some people here, the drought of personality that is the forums, um, because the forums are actually very, very similar people all having very, very similar arguments, um, which we've all seen. And I thought, I think it would be much better if there was a bit more diversity in the forums for the same reason. But it's not all bad news, though, because there's been glimpses of hope in the current community. Um, people have questioned some of the premises of the original games, which has led to a deeper game um, concerns about professional execution and slavery. Um, I think that was you, Dave Hughes. You, you said, um, you know, that basically people were being paid to murder people and, and everyone was OK with that. But now they've added in new features. You know, they've gone back to the drawing board with, with the Pilots um, Federation. Um, and also now there's a specific humanity game mechanic. So I think although, um, you know, we are just grown up versions of the same middle class kids who used to, you know, could afford a computer, um, we have grown and matured a bit. Interesting. Sean, what's your take? Um, I don't think that's entirely fair. I understand where he's coming from. Um, because we can back the game doesn't necessarily mean we're the people that are we're the main people who are going to be playing the game. When we started playing the game, we were 12, 13, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. And I think that we have to remember that that's who we were when we originally played the game. And those are the people that we'll be, we'll be targeting, I think, when we, when we go for launch. We'll be going for the 12, 13, 14-year-olds. I think we should accept right away that um, Elite was, always has been, always will be a niche game. Um, Absolutely agree, Drew. I wonder if the age group that we've got represented primarily on the message boards in some ways are actually going to play the game much at all sometimes. If I, if I clarify that thought a bit, I played Elite to death. Like Sean was saying, I was 13 when I was doing that, and I got to Elite on the original Elite. Yeah, I played it uh, absolutely obsessively, rather like the way I watch my kids play Minecraft at the moment. Frontier and First Encounters, I was that little bit older. I was at university, never got time to play them. Um, mucked about on them a bit, and they kind of just passed me by. Now, um, I came across the um, the open source remake, the Elite game, and it was perfect as far as I was concerned. It was a modern representation of Elite, fancy new graphics, taking advantage of PCs. Yeah, absolutely brilliant. Did I play it? Yes but only so much as to kind of relive the original nostalgia for a while. Um, and then I got into writing fan fiction for it and all that kind of good stuff. But I haven't really played that game. Uh, and I'm wondering <laughs> with Elite Dangerous whether I'm going to kind of jump in there to solidify, in my mind, the way the game works and play it around a bit to kind of visit the places that I've read about and written about myself and read about in the other guys' books. And then I'm kind of wondering if it's, I'm just going to be interested in the eye candy from there on, and I won't play it very much. I don't know if that makes a lot of sense or whether that resonates with other folks, but I'm worried for my generation or for my age, that's my, my reaction to it, partly because my time is, yeah, as an adult now and with kids and families and mortgages, et cetera, is, is pretty, pretty low amount of time I've got available for doing hobbies and things anyway. You know, I haven't got hours and hours of time to sink into a massive game. So that, that worries me a little bit for my age group. The youngsters, I can see my kids playing it. Can I see my kids getting sucked into a complicated game like this at the age that I was when I saw the original Elite? I don't know. 
I'm, I wonder, I, I really don't have an answer for that question, but I think we, you know, in general, the community does need to have a think about the demographic it's aiming for, because I'm not sure it's us anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, it's interesting what you say about, about the, the age that you were when you played it. Do you not think, therefore, that it's your, yeah, your role in the same way that maybe your parents introduced you to Elite for you to, you know, sit down with your kids and, you know, introduce them to the universe and try and get them excited. I mean, obviously you've done the, you know, the fiction work for, for Ulit. I'm quite surprised that you've been able to write those uh, those books and not actually immerse yourself in the specific Ulit universe. Well, to, in, you know, to, to answer your first question, I wasn't introduced to Elite by my parents. I was introduced to Elite by my friends at school. That's where it came from. My parents have no concept, no idea what Elite <laughs> is. In fact, um, they, they, you know, beyond solitaire, I think the entire concept of computer games completely eludes them. Um, they had no idea what I was doing on my, my ZX Spectrum <laughs> in my bedroom, which probably is not quite the right image, but there we are. Um, um, but um, so no, no, I, I got it from my friends at school and my kids. Um, they come home talking about Minecraft mods and add-ons for um, stuff they're doing on their PlayStation 3 and that kind of stuff. That is that is where they're getting their what's the next cool game stuff. And I think if Elite is going to um, grab that generation, you've got to engage with those people where they are. The playground is where they, that generation um, discusses stuff. And that, that's where I got into Elite from. It, was, it, wasn't, it wasn't from anything else but my peer group. Do you not think when you say that, um, yeah, our kid's going to get involved in such a complicated game, is it not the, the role of Frontier to make sure that the game is accessible to all ages? I mean, these are kids that are more than happy to you know, throw themselves into games like Mass Effect or Grand Theft Auto. Do you think it's going to be that difficult for them to pick up a space sim? You know, the likes of Elite Dangerous and, you know, get involved. I mean, we have, we're not talking about Newtonian physics like we saw in Frontier. This is going to be much more arcadey space combat, you know, with a, with a controller. I think that's very difficult to answer without having seen the game. Having tried, having shown my kids only, um, they mucked about with it, shot the police up a few times outside the space station, shot a few missiles off, and then went on and did something else. Um, they never got into the, I need to, to kind of work my way up to buying a decent ship by trading around the universe. They, they didn't have the time anymore for that kind of experience. I showed them Frontier and First Encounters, and they laughed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's harsh. The, 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 the graphics were just too far below their level of threshold to kind of, you know, it was painful for them to look at the screen, basically. They, they couldn't cope with that. And um, they, they've loved the videos. They loved the combat videos from Elite Dangerous during the Kickstarter. They said, yeah, that looks really cool. Um, and then, boom, attention was elsewhere. And I, I don't know, it depends on the control mechanism. Can they get into the game and get some sort of um, feedback from it quite fast? It, uh, that, that, that's, that's where their gaming is. And I'm not saying my kids are, should be defining the, um, yeah, exactly what gaming looks like going forward. But there is you know, a, a part of it about um, that instant gratification, which I know doesn't appeal to our generation so much. We talk about Twitch gaming and you know, it shouldn't be like that. We, should, we need something more meaty. But to engage that generation, it's kind of the other way around. Interesting. Ian, what do you reckon? Well, as uh, one of the older generation, I've actually, you know, I live alone. Uh, I've got a computer, I come home and uh, sometimes I play games. Sometimes I'll uh, sit on the forum. Sometimes I'll watch TV. Sometimes, a lot of times, I'll go out. But when the game comes out, I plan to be spending a lot more time behind the computer shooting people or not, depending on <laughs> whether my lasers are any good or not. 
But um, it's I'm kind of a different phase in my life than than, than you know the the kind of thirties to forties married with kids. Yeah, I once was married. I do have kids, but you know they're not with me anymore. Weekends is uh, a fight with my daughters to try and get time on the computer. So I think I'm, I've already lost that. But in the week, I'm going to be, uh, you know, as often as I can, uh, playing, or at least that's the plan, and, you know, that's what I'm envisaging right now. Because I'm, I'm playing a Oolite at the moment, and, it, yeah, it's just like Elite was, but with better graphics. It was fun to start with. I'm kind of losing my attention for that, but I think Elite Dangerous has got a lot more depth to it. And on you know, what I've been seeing in the newsletters, what's coming through on the forums, that it just looks to be shaping up to be uh, absolutely fantastic um, immersion sort of uh, experience. You know, the ships look fantastic, the planets look fantastic, the whole thing just... And it looks like there's going to be a lot of kind of gameplay to it as well with all the different roles. So, yeah, I think I'm going to be um, playing a lot more than Drew. That's interesting. Before I bring Dave Hughes into this, um, Ian, what about the people that are going to be populating that uh, universe and playing with you? Do you have any strong feelings about who's going to be joining you and what age they should be or what age you'd like them to be? No, not really. I'm kind of in a, a funny situation. I, I play a card game, Magic the Gathering, and uh, so I have a lot of friends that play that and I'm like a grandfather there you know they're all kind of students uh, school kids or and the oldest going into their 30s and those are my friends I'm 56 it's, it's kind of a bit it's straight right <laughs> no not at all I mean that's I don't the have any friends my age they're not the they're not, certainly not the people that will be playing this game but you know the the the, the gaming uh, community once they once they going to latch on to this i think they're really going to pick it up there is going to be a sort of a hurdle to get over to get into it. once you get into the game it just grabs you i think okay well i think that's going to do it for that topic we'll move on to sorry i'm only joking dave dave what have you got to say mate <laughs> you're a nasty nasty <laughs> sorry dave i know you're desperate yeah. to say go on what's your point yeah, I, I'm going to be a, a Drew fanboy here and agree with pretty much everything he said there, even all, all the way back to the thing he said about Uli and the fact that we started playing it and then never really played it all that much. As soon as I got hold of Uli and discovered it had OXPs and you could design your own ships to put into it, I was away, that was it. I didn't play it for about six months and ended up designing missions and ships and stuff. But I think trying to appeal to a younger audience is going to be quite important because, like again, like Drew says, uh, we're all busy. I mean, I'm, I'm going to suffer after a year of writing this book because... Um, I'll be dragged back onto doing things like housework, DIY and shopping and looking after kids and stuff like that and rebuilding the house after a year of not doing anything with it. So I think the gameplay aspect of it for the older guys is going to be a bit minor. It's more to do with the sort of experience and being part of it and knowing that we've actually got another one. Yeah, the, the thing that David Braben keeps on saying is that he he's, he's wants to make the game that he wants to play, which is fair enough, but no, no disrespect to David Braben himself, but he turned 50 and during the, the Kickstarter and maybe a, a game that's going to appeal to a 50-year-old man or a 40-year-old man or all that isn't going to really appeal to 15, 16-year-old kids, whether it be male or female. So he's, he's going to have to try and get some different perspectives on it. And I think that's one thing that maybe we as parents could possibly do as well. We can maybe even tap our kids and say, right, what would you want to see in this game? Because my son loves playing New League. How old's your son, Dave? He's 13. He's been playing it since he was 11. So, um, Maybe we could ask some questions of our kids and maybe put them onto the forum and they can pick our stuff up from there as well, maybe. I mean, you say that in terms of David Braben obviously turns 50, but you'd imagine that within the 
our frontier developments team there's hopefully going to be quite a range of uh, of ages working within the development team and at the end of the day frontier development need to make money out of this in whatever way shape or form they can they need it to be as accessible to as big an audience as they as they can make it in order to monetize it and make the most amount of profit from it so i'd imagine they've got obviously one eye on the forums in terms of what us you know us old farts want to have in the game you know, what we've imagined but at the same time, I think they've got to be looking. They've got to have one eye on the uh, on the younger generation, the people that are going to be, you know, sort of teens, early twenties, coming into having a bit more disposable time, disposable income, in order to make this game something that they can live off, which is what they want to do. They want to be able to earn enough money from it to do the updates and just keep it going as a cash cow. And you know, with the best one in the world, you know, we're not going to be around in, not that we're going to die, but we're not going to be still playing games in um, in 15 or, or, or however many years that they still want to keep this thing going, like um, like like EVE Online has just done. So, okay, Sean, what's your thoughts? Um, speak for yourself, I intend to be playing <laughs> like 14, 15 years. <laughs> no, um, I, I actually I agree a lot with what Drew said um, in terms of... Uh, I won't have the time to play the game as much as I'd like. Um, I've got my I've got my child who's arriving in July. Um, Congratulations! Yeah, he's actually he's got a mention on the Lave Radio website um, because he's tied into Alan's book. So he's the James Gibson that's mentioned in the the battle for Lave Station. Thank God for that. Um, I thought for a horrible second there, he might be the beastie <laughs> from Leastie that we've been talking about. <laughs> No, but uh, yeah, so uh, we're not going to have the time. But I, I think that we're underestimating kids today. I mean, like uh, Drew was saying, his kids are playing, uh, what was it, uh, Minecraft and these kind of things. So their children today are not less intelligent or less um, involved than we were. And as long as it's got the right hook, and the, the main thing is it has to have the right street cred, shown my age there, but it has to have the right street cred and or playground cred or whatever it is. And there has to be some. There has to be something. There has to be something different from from the from what's gone. For elite, that was easy because we had the the three the three D graphics. What do we have for elite dangerous that's different? Well, that's a great segue, Sean, into the next topic of the podcast. What is elite dangerous's killer feature? So the space sim is dead. Long live the space sim. Uh, for years, we've been starving in the wilderness. Sure, we've had a few interesting morsels to sate our appetite in the form of Freelancer, the X-Series. Uh, some of them people managed to survive on a diet of point-and-click spaceships controlled by spreadsheets. Yet we never had the next Elite, or even the game that we all hoped Freelancer could be. Today, we have a new Wing Commander in Star Citizen, a new Elite in the form of Elite Dangerous, interesting solo indie efforts like the Kickstarter-funded Limit Theory, a handheld universe such as Galaxy on Fire on Android and iOS, and of course, the ever-expanding universe that is EVE Online. Uh, so the question is this, what does Elite Dangerous bring to the table? What does Elite Dangerous have that those other works don't? What's the unique selling point? What is Elite Dangerous's killer feature? John, we'll start with you again. Uh, yeah, for me, definitely the killer feature is going to be the multiplayer. Pretty much every other feature in the game is going to be either a bigger and better implementation of a previous feature or variation thereof. And I think multiplayer is going to add a whole new extra dimension to the game um, i mean I, even back in the day when i was on amiga before um, the internet had even taken off i was already craving uh, a multiplayer frontier experience and i even thought to myself when they announced the new elite dangerous game i thought that it has to be multiplayer if it's not then i don't see the point in it because it was something that 
would make the game complete. But it's not just the fact that you can play with your, your friends. This new elite is using this new networking technology, um, which is not server-based, it's peer-to-peer. And I think if it's done properly, then it will allow for an experience that's very similar to an MMO, but without the requirement for frontier developments to invest heavily in server infrastructure um, or players forking out subscription fees, things like that. Obviously, I'm, I'm a bit cautious because I haven't seen this kind of thing used in any other game, this matchmaking system. But, you know, I, they said during the Kickstarter, it was something they'd already put together and tested and they were happy with it. So, you know, I'm kind of optimistic. Okay. Grant, what about you? Yeah, I mean, the, the multiplayer will definitely be really quite exciting. But for me, the sort of killer feature that I'd be drawn to is just the community and the, the, all this fan fiction. Uh, that's the big pulling point for me. The game will be more interesting to play once you've got a grasp on the backstories and how everything's going to work. And then, of course, with their future plans to have these little events in-game that will call upon this fiction and, and just completely draw you in. That's, you know, wh- wh- who can I be in this universe? Will I just spend most of my time like I do in all these space sims floating around waiting for someone to pick me up? Um <laughs> I don't know, but um, it's quite interesting to think you could play a part and maybe change the way the the, the universe goes. It's just that's that's the killer feature for me, because a lot of these games tend to be that mission complete, move on mission complete kind of games that you do because if you get involved in the action, you die far too quickly. And I mean the likes of Eve and similar ones, I just can't play them. So I'm looking forward to this uh, the ability to play Elite the way I want to, either inviting everybody in to salvage my ships or <laughs> keeping them at bay and you know, giving it a go myself. But with the fiction there, that's what's going to get me playing. It's going to get me going to places to see. I'm going to go and have a look at Lave and see if I can see the effects of this revolution. I'm going to go to DSO and see if they actually do have ducks. Um, that kind of thing. Well, probably a good point to uh, to move on to one of those fiction writers. Dave, what's your thoughts? I agree with what... Um... Grant says there, the, the multiplayer is going to be one of the bigger aspects of the game, because at least never been a multiplayer game before. But I think what make, what's going to make it special is the fact it's going to be very much a hybrid of single and multiplayer sort of melded together into its own unique brand. And they've been selling that as a pretty big point of it. I think that could be one of the bigger issues with it. Um, it could go very, very well, or it could go very, very badly, um, depending on how well they implement the, the grouping systems and all that sort of stuff to give players more control so they don't get griefed and actually enjoy the experience in the way that they want to. Even the single player people are going to enjoy that as well, hopefully. I think what they need to do as well, though, is, is make sure that they involve the community with as many aspects of that as they can. I mean, if they can make the multiplayer experience as rich as possible by including some community aspects to it as well, such as missions being submitted. Again, I'm people are going to say to me again that I'm harking back to Elite here, but things like add-on missions or add-on um, conversations or so on, if people can submit their own voice print for use in the game or something like that. you know, Loads of different community options as the, as the game rolls merrily forward would be lovely. Okay, Ian, what about you? Well, I'm not really sure. I've never played a multiplayer game. What I do think it was a unique selling point is going to be... I've got no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'll tell you what, Ian, I'm going to leave you sat there and you can think about it and I'll come back to you. Drew, what about you, mate? I think I agree with some of the the previous comments. I think the community is the biggest thing. Um, I don't think there's anything about Elite now that is anything else but kind of we've we've been there before. You know, Spaceship, Science Through Space, done that. 
hyperspace, done that. Travel between planets, done that. Exploring different worlds, been there, done that. Science fiction films, books, you name it. Um, I think the biggest thing the Elite franchise has got going for it is the community of people who have been captured by the, you know, the, the three previous instances of the game and the effect it's had on them. I think if I look back on what Elite meant to me as a 13-year-old, it was all about um, having a place to let my imagination run wild. And it, you know, and many of you, I hope, would agree that it formed a very important part of our lives. I know Alan, um, bless him, I was talking to him on the interview, and he was talking about you know, Elite was a refuge from a crappy day at school. And yeah. I very much thought that as well. Now, I grew up with that and, and the you know, the dark wheel and all the fiction that kind of went around it was a very formative influence on me, which I can still see playing out in my life today. Now, can Elite Dangerous do that to a new generation of fans? That would be my fondest hope. But I think, you know, the the, the people who are engaging on the forum, the twenty five thousand people who backed Elite, you know, mostly through nostalgia and you know, the hundreds of thousands of people who probably did play the original game if we can bring more people into that community and have that community generate its own uh, mythos and its own structure, you know, as part of the background to this game, that to me is what differentiates Elite from, you know, Star Citizen or, or any of these other games. It, it has that very flavoursome universe, which is very distinct from Star Trek and Star Wars and Battlestar Galactica and all those other sci-fi universes. It has a feel all of its own it's got that sort of slightly dark and dingy aspect to it it's got that tramp trader kind of feel to it you know the way theft works between planets it's got that sense of danger it's got that sense of frontier wild westness which is yeah other, other sci-fi genres have touched on but nothing else is quite the same that to me is what's different about it it's not the gameplay it's the kind of the universe around everything else well, I'm going to put you on the spot now, Drew. For something that you're going to put on the outside of the box as a marketing tool, how would you try and capture what you've just said, that community aspect? How would you capture that and try and put it on the back of the uh, back of the box? <laughs> oh, God, I'm the last person you want to ask as a marketing person. Um, it, it would have to be something like um, Elite, your universe, your way, but it, it's got to capture the fact that it's, it's yours to make, write your own story, something like that. That's pretty good. It's exactly what Burger King used, but that's absolutely fine. <laughs> yeah. Uh, can I just get in here? I, no, I think I agree with Drew there. It's that one of the main selling points is you can actually make your own story in the game. I and mean, what really attracts me at the moment is the idea of just uh, going exploring, just flying off into you know God knows where, going somewhere no one has ever been before, and just looking at something for the first time especially if they get those planets, uh, you know, really looking fantastic. And the community part of it is, um, you know, it's drawn me in from someone who, you know, avoided the internet and, and has never played a multiplayer game. It's got me kind of hooked. I'm doing podcasts. I'm, you know, I'm slagging people who wear onesies off on the forums and uh, drinking in a Thargoid and uh, Ferdelance and... I would never have done that, you know, six months ago. I don't know what's happened. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I 
completely agree with that point. And it seemed very apparent from the you know, from the Kickstarter very early on in the Kickstarter. I know we all talk about the you know the comments page on the Kickstarter, but you know the community. It was apparent from the early days of that that the community on the comments page was a great community to be involved in, and it was so active. And considering what a horrendous platform the Kickstarter comments page actually was. It wasn't a forum. Yeah, you would literally go and make a cup of tea and you'd be six pages behind the current thread of conversation. It was horrendous. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Okay, Sean, bringing you into the conversation. So what have you got what? to say? What? Uh, right. Um, <laughs> for me, for me, the three, there, there are three main things. One is community, one is multiplayer, and one is what Ian just kind of mentioned which is exploration if you look at the careers that people want to do exploration figures really highly and i think it's it's an there's an opportunity there to, to kind of knock it out of the park so i, th I think exploration along with the multiplayer <laughs> probably going to be one of the main selling points i was just going to add a point about the um the community side of things um we've We've kind of seen this before. I mean, I'm, I'm using my experience of the old Leap forums to do this. And I, I noticed you made a comment about the uh, the Kickstarter having that sense of community about it. One of the things, you know, Oleap has been running, I think, since about 2003, 2004. And in that time, it's it's generated a level of kind of inbuilt humor and understanding within itself, which is distinctly Oleap as opposed to Elite and anything Frontier and so on and so forth. And I think given the you know, Elite Dangerous will and, and already has done to a great degree, you know, generated its own kind of stuff just in the last few months since this, since, since we all kind of found out about it back in November. And I think capturing that and having that in game somehow is the secret to success. The bit that Ian mentioned in terms of exploration, I think personally the, the killer feature that Elite Dangerous has is this idea of procedurally generating a universe. I mean, the thing that we all remember about Frontier and also about Elite was the fact that you had your own sandbox universe and that you could go anywhere and do anything. A few other people, you know, freelancers tried it, uh, Eve tried it, but ultimately got too big and had to be sort of spreadsheet driven. If Elite Dangerous can actually do the procedural generated universe to such a degree that things are fresh, things are new, things encourage you to go out in your ship and, and fly across the stars, doing your bounty hunting, doing your exploration, or just doing your trade missions, if the universe is vibrant enough to keep you interested, I think that this will be the thing that will keep people coming back to it. This will be the thing that not only will we remember from our childhood, but it'll be the thing that you know, your Grand Theft Auto players or your Minecraft players will be drawn into the game to say, actually, yeah, I want to play this game. I want a piece of this universe. I want to make it my own. Cool. That's going to do us for this episode of The Conclave. Grant, anything you'd like to finish up on? Yes. Thank you very much. It was a great fun. John, what about you? No, I'm all right. Thanks. You don't want to say anything about Alpha Lave Station? No, no. I'm keeping it to myself. For now. Okay, fine like that drew thanks for joining us mate is there anything you'd like to shout out yeah just to reinforce the whole community thing really um one thing i found on my without kind of plugging it too hard my um elite reclamation novel available at all good bookshops and a few dodgy <laughs> ones well, at least not yet but hopefully soon is 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 the community engagement i'm getting a lot of people who are posting on you know the blog articles that i'm putting up every week and it's great to have the feedback quite a lot of the stuff gets discussed and i'm trying to keep it 
with a sort of vaguely sensible flavour on my website. So I think you've got all the choice across all the forums. Might, you know, it, it, it's it's a sensible thing for me. But that community engagement with the stuff that I'm coming out with is is fab- fabulous. So um, if people would like to um, drop me a comment on my blog, I'd very much appreciate it. Thanks, and it's been great to uh, great to be on the conclave too. Thanks very much. Ian, calling all the way from Holland. Calling all the way from Holland. Well, yeah, I want to give a shout out to um, Andy B's site, Elite Storage Site. It doesn't look like, well, it looks good what he's got there, but it hasn't changed for weeks. But behind the scenes, he has been absolutely making a fantastic site. It'll blow your socks off when it looks. It's great. Now you can put Dravels up there, and his latest feature is a forum watcher, and that is pretty good. A shout out for that, and I'd just like to say there's a king being crowned in a local system close to me. <laughs> and I've got a delivery of lavy and brandy to make, so uh, thanks for the talk, and uh, see you around. Thanks a lot, Ian. Cheers, mate. Sean, all the way from Italy. Uh, I have to say it was fun to take part. Again, a, a shout out to the, the website, elitestories.co.uk. I've got one story up there, which I keep meaning to write a part two to, where tailgate. Um, but it's been fun to take part. Thank you very much for inviting me. Nice to speak to everybody, actually. It's been nice to hear you. Absolute pleasure. And finally, Mr. Hughes. Hey. Um, well, first of all, I want to say thank you to you all for inviting me to come along to this conclave. You know, um, again, I'm, I'm going to jump on the bandwagon and um, mention Andy B again because he's done a very, very fine job with Elite Stories. It's a fantastic concept, and I think he's done a great thing. Um, keep an eye on it. Obviously, I'm going to pimp my own stuff here because that's the sort of person I am. Progress is going well on the book, and keep an eye out for it. And I did want to say though, on the first episode of Live Radio, there was a comment made about the dice that I've got them in my hand right now. Hooray! Uh, all 10,000 of them. <laughs> <laughs> I have very, very big hands. Uh, very, very small dice. I don't, I don't like where that's going. <laughs> Perfect, Dave. So I think people can look forward to receiving those in the post in the not-too-distant future. Am I right? Indeed, they will. Perfect. Okay, guys, so that's going to do it. So thanks again for being on the first episode of The Conclave, and we'll see you soon. Accidentally, I wanted to say in in chat to Dave Hughes, I can't wait to get my dice, but I put I can't wait to get my dick. <laughs> <laughs> it's just what well, I didn't say. I can't wait to get my hands on my dice. Or <laughs> even weird. Um, I actually started. I wanted to do aquatic bioscience, but um, after the first year of biology, I realised it was not for me. <laughs> Sorry, Grant. You said aquatic bioscience, didn't you? Yes, I could have sworn you said aquatic bowel science, and I'm thinking, fish's guts, <laughs> fish's insides. <laughs> Moving water, yeah. Hey, greetings, and welcome to this, the pilot episode of The Conclave. The Conclave is an open invite show where fans join myself and John to talk about the hot topics of the elite dangerous universe. Joining me tonight, we have Grant Wilcott. Oh, I've forgotten your name. Oh, no, don't worry about it, we'll go again. <laughs> Wait a second.
Which who is is, is your John? No. No, Chris. <laughs> you can tell that by the fact already. that the blue boxes flash when the person that's talking flash. <laughs> mine don't. Mine just sitting there. There's a big huge box, five boxes in a wee row sitting there doing nothing. Yeah, I know, but there's one with a big picture of Darth Maul flashing away at you. <laughs> that's right, Chris. I can see you now. Your name flashes. That's right. <laughs> right. Okay. Okay. <clears throat>